0: Welcome to another episode of Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the courageous stories of men and women that have overcome adversity in their lives to give other people hope. And today I'm joined by Mike Conklin. Mike is the founder of Better Beginnings Now. He is a certified recovery coach uh, and life coach, actually through the Jay Jay Shetty School, which I'm really excited to hear about. Jay's incredible. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, super cool that you got and went through his program, and and uh, he's a he's a speaker and a and a major influencer in the in the way of helping people overcome adversity, and and really that came from his own, you know, path of overcoming adversity. We cannot transmit something we haven't got, and he's got it. So, Mike, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much,
1: man, Charlie. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, anytime I get to you know a chance to get in front of some people and talk about, you know, getting over life struggles and adversities, you know, it's my pleasure absolutely my pleasure
0: yeah it's so great so so tell us i think you know everyone learns a little bit from from origin story tell us a little bit about you know what early life was like for you and 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 kind of how you spent your time growing up and and then what happened
1: okay so um i held out pretty much as long as i possibly could you know with with drinking and and drugs and so the first time that i got drunk uh with the intent of getting drunk i was nine and I blacked out for the first time when I was eleven. you got, so, a, few,
0: you got a few years on me. I started at twelve. Jesus.
1: Yeah. See. So I mean, we 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 really did. You know. That's why I say. You know, I held out as long as I could. And you know, I think about that. I've I've have i have 3 kids. And you know, when I when I was able to, you know, when I stopped, you know, when my sobriety started. My daughter was ten. You know, my son was seven, and my other son had just turned five. And I, I think about that, you know, I think about the concept that I was nine years old and I was looking to get drunk and my kids were not that way. Thank God, you know, it, it's just it blows my mind, you know, like but I had a good I had a good life. You know, I mean, I did. I, I had, you know, parents that did the best they could. You know, I had pretty much middle class, you know, working family. Um, my father's parents were right up the road. And, you know, my grandfather to this day, you know, is probably the most influential and, you know person I find to be the, you know, one of the most important people in my life. And had I heeded some of his advice early on in my life, I probably would have gone down a different path for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I I didn't have this insanely terrible upbringing. Um, I will say that I was very willful. Um, I spoke my mind a lot and I looked for adventure and that got me in a world of trouble. Uh, a lot of times with my dad, you know, my dad didn't take lightly to that. Um, I would definitely say like in today's day and age, you know, would you consider it like abuse? Um, maybe, you know, like I looked at it as um, I knew the consequences, you know, I knew that if I got caught doing the things I was doing, you know, I knew my dad was not going to be happy and I knew that I was probably going to catch an ass whipping for it. And I did plenty of times, you know, and um, you know, I, I think, that kind of fueled my fire. A lot of the times, like, you know, while I went through my teen years and stuff, I did well in school. You know, I was a, I was an honor roll student. I, you know, I, I popular amongst my peers. I played varsity sports. I did all of those things, but all the while, you know, I partied a lot, you know, and I mean, I had, you know, classmates all the way through school that used to be like, you know, I don't know how the hell you do it. You know, you are out all weekend long. You never do homework. You don't do shit. And you still pull the grades and stuff. I'm like, that's it was easy. You know, it was. School was easy for me. Um, I got along well with my teachers. I didn't do anything. I was a master manipulator even then. I mean, I was like, my mom said as a young kid, I should have been a lawyer because I was able to, I always negotiated with my, you know, with my teachers, you know, like, well, you need to do this, this, and this, or you're going to fail. And I'd be like, well, how about, what if I did this and this and this? And then you gave me a grade and they'd be like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, and that's just how my life was. It was that way. And I, you know, my mom used to say all the time, like I just had this way of stepping in shit and coming out smelling like a rose. And I, that was the story of my life. Even with drinking, you know, I mean, I graduated high school. I, you know, I, I went to, uh, I was, you know, I, I had to apply for it to be an exchange student, to be a foreign exchange student through the rotary program. And out of like 400 applicants, I was like one of the five. So I, you know, I was to spend a year abroad in France. And I would have to say that that's probably where my drinking just took off. You know, I was in a foreign country, 18 years old, just graduated high school and I'm allowed to drink. Um, and I did, you know, and, and I, it, I was only there about, I was supposed to be there a year. I was there two and a half months. My grandmother got very sick. And like I said, my my grandparents were, very, I was very close to them and I made the arrangements and I said, you know, I'm coming home. And uh, my grandparents didn't want me to come home. They said, no, you stay. And then I was like, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't be here knowing that she's in the hospital. So I went home, thank God she lived. Um, everything turned out great. But that is where, you know, when I talk about a lot of times we have pivotal moments in our lives. You know, and looking back in hindsight, I can undoubtedly say that that was a time in my life where my drinking just really escalated. Um, I had incredible blackouts while I was there, you know, ending up in other towns, like in a foreign country, not knowing where I was, you know I mean? Which is insanity, you know, I think about it now. Um, Came back home, um, ended up going to, uh, went away to college. You know another uh, another geographical change you know I, w- I went down to university of north carolina in wilmington i was there one semester because i didn't do the things that i was supposed to be doing and um i let things slip on by and i you know my, my financial aid and things weren't in place the way they should have been for second semester and i couldn't go back so i was like okay so then i moved um i i decided you know what i'm going to uh i'm going to go to florida you know and the drinking just continued a lot. And then along with the drinking came along a lot of other things. Um, I was always just looking for something more and more and more and more. And, and then, you know, I was, that in, fu- I was, that,
0: that fuse got lit very, I mean, you, you lit that fuse at nine years old. And so as you talk about the progression of this drinking, I mean, I think one of the things that I think people that struggle to understand the progression of alcoholism or addiction is, you know, it's really not about what you were drinking and it's not about how much you were drinking. I mean, there was a why you were drinking that you hadn't uncovered yet. And you know, so despite all of these appearances to the outside, I think a lot of people can relate to this kind of feeling like on the outside, you described lots of success, right? Doing well in school, how you were doing it was one, sure. was one thing, but you were you were popular, you were doing well in school, you had a good family. To the outside world, everything everything's great. like Mike's gotta be okay. Yeah. How did you feel inside? What did the um, drink do to you? And what were you, what, if you could identify what the insides of you were like?
1: I was, I mean, I, I know what it is now. I know what that feeling was that I was, you know, I, I was lost. I had no idea what I was looking for. I was always looking for something. I just didn't know what the hell I was looking for. You know, I, there was always a lot of chatter, a lot of, there was just a lot of noise in my head. I was always just wanted to go, 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 go. And I, I had no idea what I was looking for. Like you said, I mean, I know, I know what it is now. It's very confusing when we're in the middle of that, like, you know, that fuse being lit early, like I, we, we were discussing with my grandfather. I was about 16 years old and we were at a family picnic and I had a couple of beers at the family picnic at the picnic and then went off with my friends later on. My grandfather, the very next day, said to me, because I went up to his house to mow his lawn. So I get up and I did that every week, went to mow the lawn. So I get up there and he was just like, you know, just a normal conversation like he would with me. He just said, Hey, bub. And I'm like, What's up? And he's like, You got to be careful. And I was like, What do you mean? He's like, As soon as you have a couple in you, you can see it in your eyes. You're ready to go. And I was like, What do you, you know, I just, I didn't understand what he meant, but he knew, he knew that something in me just clicked and just the us, uh, you know, as soon as I started, there was a switch and there was no off, you know, and that's, that is the progression. Like, and I had that very young, like I always, was, it was just go, 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 until who knows what happens. Um, somebody, it is un- progressive.
0: somebody, somebody uninstalled the off switch in Mike. Oh yeah. I,
1: I don't know if it was ever in, you know, <laughs> I I don't know if they, I just, they left that one out for sure. They left the off switch, you know, and, and I know that now, you know, like I know that now it's just, you know, it was a hard lesson to learn. You know, a lot of consequences came along with that. Well, people
0: talk, people talk about, you know, the importance of uh, self-esteem, self-esteem. They talk about the importance of self-confidence, but really... The most important thing I think that we can teach others is self-acceptance. You know, is to is to be be able to be still and understand who you are. And that I mean, I, I, I so relate to that idea of just having to get somewhere else. It's like anywhere else but here is going to be better. Even though it yeah. seems even though it seems good here, it's like you know we're 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 chasing. In fact, I was sharing with Heather. It's like when you're always when you're always thinking that you'll be happy when you're always chasing when and there, and and when just it's it's just the next when it's the next what.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you just hit the nail on the head for me. Um, I, I, you know, that, that identity and being, being comfortable with who we are, like, and that I think was the the thing that eluded me the most. I just, I didn't, I wanted to be, I was, I was friends with everyone. You know, when you think you, you look back at high school and everything is very clicky, you know, there's this group and this group and this group and this group. I was friends with them all. You know, I was, I, I got along with everybody. You know, I just, I knew how to, I knew how to fit in with anyone. And that's, you know, and I think that that really was a big part of, you know, like, you know, I want my disease, whatever it was like, I just, I wanted to fit in with everyone. I didn't want to be disliked for the most part by people as to where today I am who I am. And I, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve for the most part. And it's like, you like it or you don't. And I know for a fact that not everybody is going to like what I have to say, and that's okay. You know, but there are plenty of people that do, and that's okay. Um, but I, I wasn't okay with that, you know, in the past. I really did. I think that, you know, if I knew that somebody didn't like me, I wanted to know why. Well, what did I do? Maybe I can change. Maybe I can do something different, you know. Um, I never I, I never drank to fit in, you know, that like I wasn't drinking to fit in with a group, you know. I drank for the effect produced by alcohol, period. You know, I tell that to people all the time. Like, why did you drink? Because I liked what it did for me. And you hit the nail on the head before, too, when you said, I was just, I just didn't, I just didn't want to be right here right now that's it. You know, anything that takes me out of this very moment. Perfect. I want that. Yeah. You know, you know, I just, my, I was always thinking about the things that had happened yesterday. What the hell am I going to do with my future? Um, I just, I was so, so, so lost in this and uncomfortable sitting here. Like, and now I know like the, the beauty, like the, the absolute beauty of, you know, of sobriety and like real recovery is that I can sit here with you right now and like no like this is it this is the moments of life that i'm actually living and i love it you know and it's uh it's truly a gift to be able to be comfortable where you know where i am today because that eluded me for 33 years of my life you know 33 years of my life i was you know just kind of like man i just don't know what the hell to do with myself you know
0: and uh Well, I tell people, you know, and and I think it was true for me. We do things in pattern because we get a payoff, right? So over and over again, we do these things and and we're good until we're not, right? So like for you, you know, you, you used all of these kind of skills that you would learn. Obviously, you would develop some real you know, personality traits about fitting in with people. So you were obviously, you know, an extrovert and you obviously, you know, were social and you got along with people. You obviously were a manipulator. You could get your way. You could find your way through. You were a survivor, right? So you, yeah. you know, from 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 over from being abroad to coming home to North Carolina to now getting down to Florida. You know, and as you said, you have this belief that, you know, and your mom said it and I'm sure you believed it. <laughs> I, I I step in a lot of shit and I come out smelling like a rose. So why do I have to change anything? Because it's, yeah. you know, as far as you were concerned, I'm sure, you know, although I'm asking more, it's time, working, it's working.
1: Yeah. I, a hundred percent. I mean, I don't know if it could be described any better. You know, like I literally just knew I intuitively knew that no matter what, like, eh, it's no big deal. You know, I mean, I ended up, I, you know, in Florida, I ended up, uh, you know, I woke up, you know, handcuffed to a hospital gurney. You know, it's and working. thinking it's to working. myself like, what, what the hell is going on? And it was working because you know what, once the, the, you know, once the test came back with the two police officers that were standing there and the doctor came back, cause they, he, they were convinced, the police officers were convinced that I'm going to jail because I'm on drugs. And you know, this kid is out of his mind. And you know, we, they, they, they were waiting. They knew it. The doctor comes back and they go, I don't know what you want, what you're waiting for. This kid is, he has no drugs in his system. It's just alcohol. He's, he's drunk, you know, he, and they were like, are you kidding me? So all they could do is they had to wait. They literally had to wait for me to sober up and then they had to let me go. You know, and I was like, ha, you know, that's, that's the way I looked at it. Ha, got away with another one, you know, until like two weeks later and I got arrested again, you know, in Florida, you know, and then this time I'm handcuffed in the back of a police car and I'm being maced. You know, while I'm handcuffed in the back of the police car, you know, and then then I end up in jail overnight. It's just like, you know, but I got away, you know, another situation where like no repercussions except, well, got to wait till you sober up. You know, you'll sit in the drunk tank for the night. And like I, you know, listen, when I was a kid if you would have said to me, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never would have said, I want to be an alcoholic and an addict. And I want to be like, you know, arrested and and hanging out in hospitals, you know, you know, handcuffed to a a hospital bed. You know, those weren't my dreams and aspirations, you know? And, and if you asked me when I was younger, if that would ever have happened, there's no way, you know I mean? My father and my grandfather would have kicked my butt, you know, if those were the things that were, you know, if they were there, they would have like, you know, I would have caught a real ass whipping, you know, when I came home from, you know, from the police station that day. But, you know, the people I was staying with down there, I didn't even tell them, you know, when I got released because I didn't have to, I just got, you know, our I got released on my own recognizance and I walked home from the police station, you know, like 14 miles. And it was, you know, 108 degrees outside. You know, I was like, but I didn't want to tell anybody what had happened. You know, I just figured yep, got away with another one,
0: you know, I, I think what, what, what a, what a great segue into just talking a little bit about, the values that we lose sight of you know I mean people ask a lot about the symptoms of alcoholism or addiction or unhealthy living and you know we can look at the the, the physical consequences right there's the the getting in trouble the, the going to jail you know the the experiential consequences but there's also this, lo- this this shallow loss of living a principled life it's like when I hear you say I couldn't tell anybody how how much of a of a trait was dishonesty for you as your disease progressed <laughs> and as you started to, as you started to run into this trouble
1: lied about everything yeah. you know and that's like i you know we don't i i i say we don't even see it and i can only speak for myself and i always try to keep things on me and that's why i think that um you know i i end up being able to relate with some people in this program and and in you know in recovery is that i always keep it on me and and i think that people identify with the fact that i can say i lied about everything and I told so many lies that I literally started to believe them myself because I told them so many times the stories that I told, I told them so many times that I almost had to start wondering, like, how much of that is actually a lie? Is some of it true or is all of it a lie? You know, and then it's like, well, I actually think it's pretty kind of true. And, and none of it was true. You know, and I lied about everything, where I was, who I was with, what I was doing, how much of it I was doing. And then you lie to yourself you know, because you have to like, like you said, because like morally in my core values that were instilled in me as a kid, like I said, like the most important person in my like life, you know, like the man that I looked up to the most being my grandfather, he wouldn't, these are like, if, if he ever found out like all of the things I was doing, like, I just thought to myself, like, oh, he'll be so ashamed of me. So like, you know, it's not that bad is what I would continually tell myself. Like, it's not, it's not so bad, you know, and, and, And I even questioned that, like, you know, right up to the end, you know, I questioned right up to the end, how bad is it really? You know, and it's not until you really sit down and dig through it and you look at the wreckage, you know, the, the damages that you did all along the way, like then you can say like, how bad, how bad was it? You know, sometimes, you know, I tell people like, as you start putting some time together, um, you know, you start questioning, like, well, maybe it wasn't that bad, you know, and I tell people all the time, if you ever want to know how bad it was, ask the people that love you the most and that were closest to you, you know, was it really that bad? You know, like, the people that were closest to me was, yeah, 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 it was that bad. Yeah, it was that bad, you know, so, like, we just, you know, you lie so much, you know, about pretty much everything, and it just becomes a part of your core, you know, selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, you know, to my core, you know, and it just, uh, I look back now and I mean, I had it, I had to clean a lot of that up, you know, in order to sit here and talk about it with somebody now, or I can talk about it with anybody now. Um, but I wasn't able to do that, you know, and that's one of the gifts, you know, that's like, that is one of the gifts of recovery. That's one of the gifts of sobriety is being able to own my own shit. You know,
0: one of the things that, that I've Come to learn my, myself, and I'd be interested to get your perspective on it. On it, having walked the path you walked, so I view I view values and principles in our lives are like like muscles, you know. And if you don't exercise them, yeah, you know, they get very weak. And 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 and, and as you exercise the unhealthy ones, they get strong. So so like me, my dishonesty muscle was very strong because I'd learned for me I learned to lie from a very young age. You know, by the age of six, I was lying about what had happened in my house, who I was in order to fit in, and and we all have that need to belong and connect. And over time, you know, I found myself lying, believing my own lies, and I I had such a high threshold of what dishonesty was, it was like, well, I never walked into a Wells Fargo bank with a ski mask and a gun and robbed it. I mean, I'm an honest guy, you know? But I never saw the subtleties of what it really meant to be rigorously honest, to really, when somebody asked me where you are and what you're doing, to be able to say, this is where I am and this is what I'm doing because I had this kind of warm blanket of shame and guilt around a lot of the things I was doing. So, you know, I think when our beliefs and our behaviors get out of alignment, who we want people to see us as and who we actually are, when those two dials kind of start to separate, we create this integrity gap and, and then we just, as you said, we're, we're lost. And, and now we're just kind of pouring a bunch of stuff on it to make it go away and feel better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally, I, I see exactly what you're saying. And, and, you're, you know, you're putting out a lot of fires, you know, when you tell that many lies, you're just, you're always putting out fires and, and, um, and feel like you're being pulled in a million different directions. Um, and it's hard, you know, and it's tiring and it's exhausting and, and wow, I really need to drink now because this is, this is exhausting, you know, and now I'm really confused. Now, now the, now the noise in my head is worse than it ever was. You know, that's, that's what kept the fire going, right. Is all of those lies and all of that deceit and all of that shit that I was doing literally kept it all going. It keeps it going because until some of that stuff, you know, then, I mean, like there's so much anxiety, there's so much, you know, like confusion. So like, you know, I just keep putting fuel on the fire, but on the reverse side of that, like you said, if I want to, once we, once I change those behaviors, I need to work them regularly on a regular basis. And if I don't, they are going to slip away. Like it's, you know, it is, it is based on what I put in each and every day. Like if I want to be honest and a good person and you know, it's the same thing when we do something like physically, if we're looking to get in good shape, you know, I I have to do it all and I have to do it pretty regularly. I mean, you can't work out one day and expect at the end of the month, like, Oh, I look great. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to live a life where I'm free of all of that stuff, well, then I need to put in the work every day. I need to try to be a better person every day. I need to like, you know, put my hand out to other people every day. And when I'm not, I can undoubtedly recognize the days when I'm, you know, the days I feel off or the days that I'm not participating in what I should be doing, you know? And that's, you know, that's the reality, you know? But so yeah, it really comes down to, you have to do it regularly.
0: So as this is this life of yours is is progressing and as obviously the consequences are stacking up, where, you know, I, I'm always interested to find out what the catalyst for change is. You know, I mean, yeah. you, we can tell people that, you know, and I don't like the idea that we have to hit rock bottom. I mean, the elevator goes all the way to the bottom. You're welcome to get sure. off at any stop. You know, I say it protrudes. all the time. You
1: can get off any floor you want. Any yeah, floor you, you want, hop off.
0: And you don't have to be sick to get better you know trevor yeah. moad who is a mental conditioning coach for russell wilson passed away last year he was a mentor of mine and and he, he really drilled that into me which is you don't have to be sick to get better you know you don't have to go any further down that you 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 can have your last bad day today if you as sure. you just said you know change your behavior so what was the catalyst for change for you man
1: okay um you know like what i was life was getting pretty good. I guess, you know, I had my children young. Um, you know, I was 22 when my daughter was born, 25 when my other son was born, 27 and a half when the third child was born. Um, just working, 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 uh, you know, young with kids and just doing the best you can. And, and then good opportunities come along and, you know, get by a business and in the restaurant industry and that's going well, but now I'm drinking every day and, my wife at the time is, uh, things are not good. You know, like there's just a lot of arguing going on because of, you know, you know, the business is okay, but I work all the time and I drink and, and that's kind of the topic of conversation quite a bit. And I mean, there were always there were always episodes, you know, pre-children, um, with the kids, you know, like because of work and, you know, passed out again, coming in at three, four o'clock in the morning, I deserve this. I work. you know, I just, all the bullshit, you know, that I tell myself and that I, you know, put her through. And so basically what had happened was what, what planted the seed was um, she said, either we go to counseling or we're not, I'm not doing this, you know? And um, I said, okay, fine. Well, we went to we went to counseling. So we go to therapy and I liked it. I kind of liked therapy because I I wasn't like when I'm telling my side of the story, I wasn't, I wasn't always the bad guy, you know? So like, that was kind of cool. Like the therapist was kind of on my side, it seems sometimes. So I'm like, all right, this is great. So we're in therapy for about a year and a half. And I would try to control the drinking here and there, but then there were still days where it just went off the rails and weekends where it would go off the rails. And then, um, we were in, we were in therapy one night and by this time it's like a year and a half in, and I, I respect The therapist, you know, I do. I I respect her opinion. Um, She says, "Why don't you just, why don't you just try AA?" You know, and I was like, "Nah, it's not happening." You know, I said, "Look, my aunt was in AA." I said, "My other aunt was in AA." I said, "That's not, it's not for me." You know, it's just not. And um, I, I was not a religious person. You know, I mean, my wife, you know, she she has religion and she has a strong faith and she raised my kids that way. And that was all great. And I I'm okay. I support it in that aspect, but I don't go, you know I mean? That's just, I turned my back on that a long time ago. You know, and I did when I was probably nine, I was done with that. So she was like, why don't you just try it? And I was like, I'm not. And she goes, you know, there's, you know, it's, you don't necessarily have to just get all hung. I said, you know what? fine. I'll fucking go. I said, I'll go tomorrow. And she grabs this list. Like she pulls it out like from her desk. And she's like, you know, if you leave right now, there's a meeting at the brick church that you could make it to. So being the spiteful SOB that I am, I'm like, fine, I'll go. So I go and I tell this story. Um, this, this is it. This is the, another pivotal moment in my life. So I get to this, this meeting, it's in a basement of a church. Now it's the church that I went to as a child that I stopped going to when I was like nine years old. Wow. So it's in the, it's in the basement of the church that we used to break into like break into the basement. Like, you know, when we were like young and drink in there and do shit when they had like stuff going on. So it's in the church basement and I get in there and there's like these tables set up like in the middle of the room, like a horseshoe. So, I, I I've never been to a meeting in my entire life. I have no idea how this works and I just go and I sit down at an empty seat and I'm at like the top of the horseshoe and there's this guy sitting next to me and I am lost. I'm just sitting there and I'm just like looking around and I'm like, you know, this guy goes, how you doing? I said, how are you? And he goes, my name's John. I said, I'm Mike. And uh, he's like, nice to meet you. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I have no idea how this works. And he was like, Oh, Oh, he's like, uh, yeah. He's like, it's a big book meeting. So I'm like, okay. I I don't know what that means either. He's like, all right, listen, the meeting's going to start. He goes, and you know, they're going to do some stuff and it's going to go like, we're going to read from the book. He goes, and it's going to go around the room. And if, if it gets to you, you can either read where they left off or you can say pass and you don't have to read. So I'm like, okay, okay, I can do that. So I'm sitting there, the meeting's going on and we're reading. So I'm following along and it gets to me. And this is my passage. My wife became deeply interested and in it. it was her interest that sustained mine. Though I at no time seemed it might be an answer to my liquor problem, how my wife kept her faith and courage during all those years, I'll never know. But she did. If she had not, I know I would have been dead a long time ago. For some reason, we alcoholics seem to have the gift of picking out the world's finest women. Why they should be subjected to the tortures we inflict upon them, I cannot explain. Pass. Wow. I looked up and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And I was, I was floored because as I mean, I get chills to this day when I think about that moment because for somebody like me that didn't have any sort of belief whatsoever like that and i lived my life along the lines of things were just major coincidences this was a very difficult coincidence (laughs) this was this was just too much of a coincidence and i it didn't like that moment didn't get me sober it didn't keep me sober but it fucking planted a seed that I couldn't let go of. It, it was it was a it was a deeply planted seed, and what it did was it it kind of you know we went back to therapy the next week and you know, you know, she asked how was how was the meeting. I said it was it was okay. You know it was it was okay, and she's like, well, you're gonna go again. I said, yeah, I'll check it out. So that's what I did. I bounced to about two meetings a week, one meeting a week for about a year, and in that time, I drank intermittently. I wasn't drinking as much at some of the times. I was really trying to control it because I was trying to go to these meetings. But because I was drinking still here and there, I didn't talk to people at the meetings. I didn't share at the meetings. I didn't get connected with anybody. I just kind of went. It kept my wife off my ass. It kept my therapist off my ass. And at the end of a year, I wanted to jump off a bridge. And that is the God's honest truth. And that is where I ended up. I ended up at a point in my life where I have a wife. I have three beautiful children. I have a business. I have a beautiful home. I have a life people would dream of. And I don't want to live. I literally am dead inside. You know, you want to talk about everything looks good on the outside. Everything is wonderful. And I just, I literally am thinking to myself on a daily basis, they would just be better off without me. My life is, you know, everything is a mess. You know, at this point in time, my business is upside down because I, I can't get a I I just can't get a handle on things anymore. And I just I, I was at a point where I ended up saying I can't do this anymore because I always said to myself that when the day comes that I, like, you know, if everybody says it, you know, Mike's a good guy if he just stopped drinking, I just don't understand. Like if he just stopped, everything would be fine. Why doesn't he just stop? He's got a great life, you know? And what those people didn't understand is every time that I tried to stop, every time that I put down the drink, that the further away from, I got from that drink and that drug, the faster the spinning was in my head and the tighter the knot was in my stomach. Because I wanted to, when I got further away from it, I wanted, I just, I didn't have what I needed right? I'm walking around with what I now know is untreated alcoholism and I needed something to fill that void. And the only thing that made those pains go away for me at that time was the alcohol. So I ended up in a rehab and, uh, and this is the moment that changed it all. Like this, this is, this is literally the moment that changed it all. When I finally made the decision that I would go to rehab, my mom, like my, my wife doesn't want me in the house. So I, I, I have to leave the house. Should have hit the fan. I no longer have control of the fan. My mom is like, you know, they're, they're trying to get me into a rehab. I can stay at her house until we get in. So she's trying to find a bed for me. And we finally, we finally get in somewhere. Now, mind you, when I made the decision, I was going to rehab. I'm on the computer. I'm looking at these beautiful places. I'm like, okay, this is going to be great, right? I'm going to be on the beach You know, I'm, and, and I, that's not where I ended up. I didn't, I did not end up. I ended up on, on the third floor of Bon Secours Hospital in Port Jervis, New York, in a mica unit. And this is not what I asked for. That was like my instant thoughts. Like when I got there, you know, not to mention like literally on the ride to rehab, I contemplated jumping out of my mother's car. And the only, cause we're in a snowstorm. I'm like, if I just jumped out now, this would all be over because you know fear starts to set in who am i going to be like is this really happening i mean is it really that bad am i really going to rehab you know i always said i would stop if i what really needed to i guess i need to stop i want to stop i fucking can't stop i guess i'm going you know and i went and about 3 days in i hated it you know every time i talked to my mom on the phone i'm like they don't they don't understand They don't, you know, they're not, they're not listening to what I'm trying to tell them, you know, and my mom being, you know, the enabler that she was at the time, she's trying to help me out. She's trying to get me into a different rehab. And uh, so I went in there on February 12th and on February 17th, uh, five days in, I was three days in, no, yeah, five days, I'm five days in and on the 17th, I'm on the phone with my then 4-year-old son so my 4-year-old son says to me hey dad i'm like what's up buddy they think i'm at work so he's like hey you're going to be at my birthday party tomorrow right dad i'm like i don't know bud i don't i don't know if i'm going to make it and he's like no 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 you know where you know where it is dad you know where you know what time it's at you'll you'll be there and the next day February 18th is his fifth birthday and his party is planned. And I know where his party is at because we planned it and I'm not going to be there. And here's this little kid asking his dad because in his eyes, you know, I'm this great person and I love him more than anything in the entire world. And uh, I'm telling him, like, I don't know if I'm going to be there because I'm at work and I don't know if I'm going to make it. He's like, no, 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 you'll be there, dad. And I got off the phone with my son. And I went into my room and uh, because I had tiptoed around the rooms of AA for about a year, and I still never grasped this idea of any sort of God or anything in my life. I had exasperated every single option and I had nowhere. And I say this all the time. And Abe Lincoln used to say this. Abe Lincoln said, I reached points in my life where I had nowhere else to turn but up. And that's where I was. I for the first time in my life came to the realization that the things that i was doing were not only affecting my life but they were hurting other people around me and not only were they hurting people around me they were hurting the people that i loved more than anything in the entire world so when i hit my knees when my mouth opened and i say that things came out and things that i had done wrong Everything I could ever think of came out of my mouth in that very, those very moments as the tears rolled. And uh, and it was insane because when I, when I, when I was done, when there was nothing else to come out, I stood up and I felt better than I had felt in a very, very long time and crazier because you just keep adding to all of this insanity of coincidences the nurse knocks on my door, and says, "There's a phone call for you." And I'm like, "Holy shit, who now?" She's like, "It's your mom." So it's not here's like it's not phone call hours, right? So yeah. like she's like, "You can take the phone call at the nurses station." Your mother said she needs to speak to you. So, mind you, when I was on my knees, I made a promise on my knees because I I needed help, and I didn't know who I was speaking to. All I said was, I don't know what's out there, if there's anything out there, if there is anything out there, I need help and I can't do this. And I will do everything in my power, everything I possibly can to make this right and to try better and to do better. But I need help. Knock on door. I get the phone. It's my mom. My mom says, I have great news. And I'm like, Okay. And she's like, I got you into another rehab. She's like, I can come pick you up tomorrow. They have a bed for you. And I said, no need. She said, what do you mean? I said, I, I I don't need to go anywhere. And she's like, what do you mean you don't need to go anywhere? I said, thank you very much. I said, but I'm okay. She's like, you're okay. She's like, what's going on? I said, I can't explain it. I cannot explain what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I said, all I know is that I am right where I'm supposed to be right now. And that's all I need to know. And, um, and that was really like, that was like another pivotal moment in my, that was, that was a turning point for me in getting sober, you know, and then it like really a lot of, you know, and then things just kind of played out from there. I was only, I was only in that rehab for 10 days, um, insurance purposes, you know, my insurance basically said that we'll only cover 10 days. Um, you know, the, the rehab was like, you know, we can, finance the other days if you want. And I was like, no. So they basically said like, you can leave and you you know, we'll pay for, you know, your, your insurance will pay for intensive outpatient. And if you fail intensive outpatient, then you can come back to inpatient. I'm like, man, this system is so fucked. You know, they tell people to go out and fail so you can get it covered to come back in. And I was like, um, I didn't have to do that because then, you know, I I say, you know, my, I say another coincidence, God placed somebody in my life after that rehab and, you know, he kind of gave me some, some solutions to the things I needed to do in my life and gave me a lot of hope. You know, I had, I had that, I had those things to hold on to, you know, that, that, that turning point with that phone call with my son was, uh, you know, something I'll never forget, you know, undoubtedly.
0: It's interesting. We had, you know, Ryan Leaf on the podcast last week. Ryan Leaf have obviously had a, a very public fall from, from grace, and he was incarcerated after being, you know, second pick in the nineteen ninety eight NFL draft, and and what a story he's got. But but as when he was in his darkest days, and he and he finally had that experience you just described he described the same thing that as low as things seem right because nothing had really changed right you, you i mean yeah. the business hadn't come around you you're what you were still estranged from your family you know it wasn't like the, the it wasn't like all the lights had come on and the and the bank account got full and the heart was but you had some hope because you yeah. had gotten honest with yourself yeah you got honest that's, with yourself on your knees and yeah that's exactly and what it else.
1: was it's just you know and it's it's really like that's like i i you that's that's it right there like you said it I got honest with myself. There was nobody else around. And I, I, it's, it's really like, like hard to put into words, to describe the feeling of that moment, but, oh my God, like all of these things that I was so angry about, you know, the, the people that had wronged me, like that, I was so mad about, man.
0: You turned the finger.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was like, Holy shit. Grabbed, like you
0: grab finally grabbed the thumb. It's not yeah, them. I was it's like, not them. I got to worry about it's me. No,
1: you know? And it's like, you know, and those are the things I know today, you know, like, and that's, you know, like I, you know, I say it all the time, like whenever there is friction in my life, I am part of that friction, you know, and 99.9% of the time, I probably, I probably may have instigated part of it, you know? So I need to own that stuff. You know, when there's, when there's things going on, when there's discourse, where's my part, you know? So like you said, that moment on my knees, like, you know, it was, it's, it's all or nothing right now. You know, that's the way I looked at it. And, uh, you know, and, and that's probably one of the first promises I kept in my entire life. You know, I, to that, to this day, you know, that was it. That was my turning point. That was the point where, you know, I stepped from bridge to shore and said, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. And I did, you know, and, and I'm, blessed to say like you know i've just celebrated 14 years and that's a miracle in my you know in my eyes
0: it's really remarkable both of us have we literally yeah. have the same anniversary we're both yeah, 14 nuts. years sober and here we are on the phone together or on the it's crazy on the Zoom together it's yeah it's incredible and you know you describe something you know when when i when i train mental performance and i train you know and i think by the way i think recovery is a performance exercise. i think mean, yes. george george mumford who's Worked with the Lakers, he's worked with the Bulls, he's worked with Kobe and Michael. He talks about recovery being, you know, a a high performance activity. I mean, it's not about the things that we're supposed to do, it's can we do them when we don't feel like them? And what you described is something that, you know, really rings with me, which is can you give up what you want in the moment for what you want the most? You know can you can you give up going to that birthday party for your four-year-old son so that you can have long-term sobriety can you keep a yeah. commitment to yourself and not take that quick hit quick hit of you know pleasing him or doing what you think you want in the moment to get what you want the most because that's really what you did
1: yeah it's you know it's funny like when people talk about it um you know i live a lot of i i live my life in a way like i didn't live In the past right like you know today i have a lot of gratitude whereas in the past um that concept was very foreign to me you know want what you have no i didn't understand what that meant want the next thing is what i lived my life by when i get the next thing life will be good when i get the next thing life will be better when i get the next thing i was always looking to get the next thing i was never content with the things that i had you know and today you know, I, I start my day. It's, it's, you know, it's, it seems hokey and it's like so cliche nowadays, but it works, you know, starting my day, like with gratitude every day, three things. I keep it very, very simple. Like I don't sit for a very long time. I don't, it, it doesn't, it's not a process where I have to like think for hours. And, you know, people say it all the time. I'm like well, I don't have time, you know, to do that. I'm like, it takes me 10 minutes to do my morning routine, to sit and like First, three things like that pop into my head like, what am I grateful for? Number one, always at the top of the list is my sobriety because all of the things that are going to come after that would not exist in my life if I wasn't sober. Period. I know that with every fiber of my being, that if I were to go back, you know, and be drinking, it would escalate because it's progressive. And I have no idea what it would look like 14 years later. That lying dormant for that long. I, if the switch was ever flipped back on, I, I don't know if I would ever make it back and I'm not willing to take that chance today. So I am grateful every day for that. And then usually the other two, like, you know, sometimes it'll be my kids. Sometimes it'll be a phone call I got from one of my kids, or it might just be the smell of coffee, you know, brewing, you know, because I got up and I th- put the coffee pot on. I'm like, Ooh, that smells good today. Where that first sip is just something special today. You know, some days that the, the first sip of coffee hits different than other days, you know, and I'm grateful for that. You know, it doesn't have to be like, I don't need to sit and, you know, reinvent the wheel every day with what I'm grateful for, you know, three things. Because when the day goes off the rails, as days do in life, I need a place that I can come back to. And that's what I do today. I don't go rushing out the door like I used to when I was running around like a maniac. You know, I take those 10, 15 minutes to myself in the morning. I do like a quick little list. I do like a quick little daily reading and I might reflect for a few minutes on it. And that is my, like, it gives me something to kind of reminisce on if the day goes off the rails, you know, like, Ooh, you know what, I, I, everything was very peaceful this morning. Things are not so, you know, I can go back to that moment. Um, and it, it helps, you know, it helps a lot. Like, it's like you say, you know, we, we, we get better as we go along because we continue to practice these things, you know, and if I, the more I do them, the, the more natural they become, um, And it is, it's a matter of, you know, for me, it's, this is the, you know, I want the best life I can have because I want to be able to give more to other people. And if I am myself am not the best I can be, what, how the hell am I supposed to give to other people? What can I give to someone if I'm not, you know, if I'm not in a right place myself, we, we, you said it in the very beginning, we cannot transmit what we don't possess. And if I'm expecting to give good things to other people, if I, myself, I'm not filling myself up with good things, I'm, I'm of no use to myself or to others, you know?
0: Yeah. Remarkable. And, and you can see it in your eyes, you can hear it in your voice. And, you know, I think one of the things that's underestimated is, you know, that the heavy lifting really just begun, you know, when you, when you got out, you know, and, and I've heard it said the guy that goes into the rehab, or the guy that goes into the detox, man, he's got to come out a different dude. You know, if the same guy comes out, he's going to get what he got before. And that goes for alcohol. It goes for drugs. It goes for any kind of issues that you're having, achieving what you want in life. I mean, if you don't have a personality change and start to change the way that you live you'll keep getting what you've getting and so you had to un- you had to you had to you know kind of clean up a lot of wreckage and, and and you did that living a different way right so so some of these new principles that you started to live by were the things that you were able to lean on to deal yeah. with some of that that kind of early crisis management
1: yeah and that's you know what I, I would say that like you know I think one of the most important things for me early in, in sobriety and recovery was I got connected to the right people you know, and I stayed, I stayed connected to those people. And when I say that I got connected to the right people, I got connected to people that I was willing to share how I was feeling with, you know, because that was very important. I was unable to do that in the past. So holding into my feelings and so what I had going on, always trying to figure stuff out on my own, you know, didn't turn out well, right? Like I had to change as a person. And that was one of the changes I need to make, you know, like, look, Running it that way did not work well for you because look at the way your life is right now. I think that if maybe you tried it this way, perhaps you might have some different results. So if I want different results, I need to do different things. And that was one of the things, that was one of the first things that I did is I was honest with myself on my knees in that room. I needed to get honest with other people as well. So I had somebody close enough to me that I could get honest with about everything. you know. And I remember being like, you know, I was very connected you know, really trying to work a program of recovery and life was great. Right. Like, and I'm feeling good. And then about six months into recovery, I felt like the freaking carpet got pulled out from underneath me. It seemed like everything that was bad in my life was coming, rushing at me at one time. And I remember calling up my friend and I was like, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, like just going off. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? So like, just kept going and kept going. And then all of a sudden, like it's silence, right? Like nothing but silence on the other end of the line. And I'm like, Hello, are are you there? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, are you gonna say anything? He said, Are you finished? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, sounds like you're living life. And I was like, what? You know? And he's like, listen, man. He goes, I don't even know how many things you just said because uh, you lost me after like the first couple minutes. He goes, but this is what I'm gonna tell you. Pick one. Pick one thing out of all of those things that are rambling around in your head right now. And let's work on that today, just that one thing.
0: Yeah, keep it. I mean that that that's you know when you look at being solution focused and you just say you know if I can just if I can just break this down to what's the next step, it all seems yes. over. It all seems overwhelming. You know when your hand's right in front of your face, you oh. can't see a thing. But when you when you move it back, just to hear even, it's like oh there's just there's five fingers and there's my. That's oh, not bad. It's not too yeah. bad. But but we have this you know we have this this overwhelming feeling that we've got to. Got to do
1: it all today. Yeah, got to do it
0: all. I had this, that, this, this, uh, my, my, my brother is a, uh, maintenance manager, training manager, leadership training manager at NetJets. And, and he, he called me the other day or text me the other day. And, and he said, you know, people will say all the time, how do you eat an elephant? And I said, <laughs> yeah, one bite at a time. He says, I got a better way. I said, what's that? He goes, have an elephant barbecue and invite all of the people that you trust the most to come over and help you have a bite. And I was like, Damn. there you go. That's the way to do it and 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 so getting some perspective and, and getting some help obviously really important and and yeah, it's it's about consistency. And so um tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about how you're yeah
1: feels, so like what you, what you know everything now, got how really the kids great you're doing. Yeah. Life got really good, you know, for about five years, you know, like five years, I stay very connected, you know, every, every promise and every dream is like coming true. Life is fantastic. You know, finances are better than ever, you know, got everything back and then some, and, uh, and life was so good that, you know, I kind of got very disconnected from recovery itself, you know, like recovery itself. I did, I got disconnected from it. There just wasn't enough time. wasn't enough time. You know, and like we talked about earlier, when you're not practicing these things on a regular basis, what happens? Thank God I didn't drink or do drugs, but those mannerisms and the way that I act towards other people and, you know, thinking that, you know, better than those, those, those things come back and I was not the best person in the world. And, um, you know, and, and things suffer because of that, you know, but my kids were growing up. You know what i mean like you know daughter you know my kids all did very very well in school you know everybody you know they're wonderful children you know what i mean like i got great 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 kids and my wife she was an absolute rock star you know i can never say a bad thing about her even though that we're not together now um i can't i can't say a bad thing about her because she is probably undoubtedly the best mother i've ever known of anybody like she put my children she put our children first and foremost in everything she ever did. She made every sacrifice that a, that a person would make for her children and for her family. She did. And um, unfortunately, like, you know, that that kind of, you know, paid, a, you know, our relationship paid a price, you know, because of my actions and things of such, you know, and, and over the course of like those next five years, being so busy with life, getting a child off to college, getting another child off to college, you know, I mean, like I said, my kids are bright you know they they went to you know major universities with you know scholarships and you know graduate summa cum laude and you know my my son is a you know was a you know he's a absolute genius you know he, he freaking he's the you know value salutatorian of high school and goes to one of the you know top engineering schools in the country and you know it's just he's an incredibly brilliant and then, you know, our youngest son is, you know, brilliant and one of the, you know, greatest just personalities and he's doing really well with his life and all these great things, you know, I've got all these great things going on and I'm just so busy with life that I don't like, I don't have, I don't, I, there's, I'm never present in moments that are going on because I'm just so busy, right? I got, I got, I got. Three businesses, four businesses simultaneously running, you know, operating, all restaurant involved type things. And I'm just working like crazy and just trying to trying to keep everything, trying to keep the locomotive going. So anytime, like, you know, you know, the the wife wants to talk, it's like, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. We can talk about it later. Let's talk about it in two months. And that was my response for a lot of things. And my wife got to the point where, you know, like in 2018, that, you know, it just got to a point where she's like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, huh? Like, do you, this, to talk about an empty feeling, um, I don't know if I had felt that way in a long, long, long time. Like, the confusion, everything rushed back. Like, the, this the the noise in my head and, like, the uncomfortability. Like, I literally felt like I had a hangover. Like, I was so distraught and uh angry and i didn't know what to do with myself and the only thing i knew to do was i needed to go back to i needed to go back to a meeting is what i needed to do not that i was feeling like i was going to drink but i needed i needed connection in something so that's what i did and um i reached out to like you know to my friend and um talked to him and I was like, told him everything that was going on. And <laughs> wouldn't you know, you know, like here I am freaking out everything. I'm, I'm, I am. I'm like, an, I'm a madman. And, uh, he says to me, and this is why I love him. And this is why you need people like this in your life. He says, do you want to know what I think? And I said, yeah. And he said, because you're probably not going to like it. And I said, okay, he said, you need to stop concerning yourself with what she's doing. It has nothing to do with you. I said, what do you mean it has nothing to do with me? he goes, it has nothing to do with you. Anything that she is doing, you are not going to change. He goes, obviously, you are a mess right now. He goes, and if I were her, I wouldn't want you either at the moment. So anything that you do, you need to start working on yourself again. He goes, and this is my suggestion to you right now. You need to go find somebody to work with. And that's what I did. I got reconnected into, you know, I got reconnected and I've stayed reconnected. And then like, you know, unfortunately, I look at it like I say, unfortunately, but fortunately, you know, like we were not able to reconcile, you know, now this woman had been a part of my life since I was 15 years old. And that is a long time, you know, I mean, because you figure I was 15 and 43 When all of this went down 44. So that's a long time to have somebody as a part of your life. And, um, I did, I was like, uh, I was very, very, very lost with it for a long time. And I would lie and, you know, I was, I was reconnected, but I was still like, there was a lot going on in my head. Right. And I remember lying, like literally I can lying on the couch at night, just unable to sleep. And it would, you know, these plaguing thoughts would keep me up. And the one question that just kept over and over and over playing in my mind was why, why, why won't she talk to me? Why can't we work on this? Why? And one night had to be about 10 months after the shit hit the fan. Like one night I was just like, it's like the lights went on. And it was like, literally the answer was like given to me. Or I was, I know what happened. I got myself out of the way and i heard really intuitively like the sometimes there's just no why sometimes there is no answer this is what it is this is life as it is you are not you need this is a this is a big lesson in acceptance that no matter how hard you try to force your will into this situation it is not going to turn out the way that you want it to and that was it came to me and i was like and it was another freeing moment in my life where I was like, you know what, if this is what it is, this is the way it's meant to be, then I have to just wish her all the best. Because like I said in the beginning, she is the best mom I've ever known of any person to ever be, you know? Like, she's she loves my kids more than anything. And if there's anything else, like, then that's all that matters, you know what I mean? Like, she's still an incredible mom and there's nothing in the world that she wouldn't do for those kids. So, I mean, I was just like, you know what? It may not be the way that I envisioned my life to turn out or our life to turn out, but this is the way it is right now. So I was able to kind of move on from that point. And uh, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you and I wouldn't have done a lot of the things that I've done over the last couple of years had those things worked a different way. And, and, and that's the beauty of life. When we start Accepting life as it is uh, unfolding in front of us. I got present in the moment, and I said, "Look, this is where you're at. And look, you're either gonna you're either gonna move forward and and continue living life, and you know, participating, or you're not. You know. And I chose to participate. You know. I, I like the analogy like that. You know, life is kind of like you know, like going downstream in a canoe. You know, like we." We're moving downstream and like sometimes like there's rocks in the way and that rock can either like sink the canoe or it can nudge you in a different direction. And I like being nudged in different directions.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's again, you know, one of the principles that I think you live by today is acceptance and you know, when you apply, yeah. when, you, when you live out of principle instead of preference and you really start to ask what kind of, what principle do I need to apply to this situation? You know, because I think one of the things I've learned, Mike, is that when you ask better questions, you get better answers. And why is not a great question? You know, why, (laughs) why, why is, why is a haystack, man? It just because I, because I can come up with lots of reasons why most of them serve me. Yes. What is a better question? What am I, what am I going to do? You know, because I don't control events and I don't control outcomes. What I control is how I respond. And when I, when I make better, when I ask better questions, I get better answers. And you know, why this is happening is not as relevant as what am I going to do about it?
1: Yeah, that's, that's probably like one of the, but you, you said it perfectly right there. Like a big, big lesson. I think that people, you know, that I learned and I wish more people grasped and I wish they grasped it sooner than I did in the beginning was we have no control over external situations. People can't change people like, but I can control the way I react to it. You know, external situations have no control over the way that I feel unless I allow them to, no matter how bad they are, good, bad, or indifferent. They do not control. They do not dictate how I feel. I get to do that, you know, and that's something that, you know, recovery gave me. It gave me the ability to have that control, you know, and, and I, I, you know, listen, I there's days I like to take the wheel. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, move over. I got this. I'm driving the bus today, you know? And uh, those days don't turn out so well, you know, when, when I decide that I'm driving because I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do, you know, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. And that's why it's important. You know, we talked about this, like having important people in your life, getting that outside perspective, because there's times where I've got a situation going on and I'm going to figure it out and I'm being stubborn and cause I'm human and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I can work through this. And I'll lay there and, you know, I, I, my head is going, the thoughts are going. And then I'm like, all right, let me run this. Let me run this idea by one of my, one of my people, you know, one of my, one of my tribe. Let me run this by him. So I usually run it by the same person. And when I throw that idea out there, he says, you're not, you're not really going to do that, are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, that's a fucking terrible idea. He goes that is going to blow up right in your face. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "How long have you been thinking about that?" I'm like, "I don't know, like 3 days." "You need to rethink it because that is a terrible idea." And then he kind of we go through as to why it's a terrible idea, and he's absolutely right, you know, but me, you know, left to my own devices and you know like the the ego gets, you know, wants to slip back in there and I think it's a great idea and it's not. You know, because you know why? Because who is it serving? It's serving me. Right. And if I, if I leave that as the, as the, you know, as the end result is like, how is this best going to serve me? No, the results are not good. You know, how is this best going to serve everybody? How's this best going to serve somebody else? You know, where's my part in this? Those are the better questions, you
0: know? Yeah. Those are, those are great questions. So a lot of, a lot of our listeners, a lot of people that tune in to overcome out loud, um, you know, they're looking for, they're looking for some answers in their own lives. They're, they're in a spot You know, whether it's just a relationship issue or a work issue or, you know, uh, a friend issue or a performance issue and they're stuck. And, and you know, what's the you know, if you were to if you were to give the the top one or two answers to the question, you know, I'm in a spot and I'm stuck, you know, and I'm looking to get out. What's what's the what's the, the number one kind of piece of advice that that you would give Mike to people that are struggling with something in their lives and looking to to get to the other side of it?
1: I say all the time, first and foremost, like I say it, whether it's recovery or anything, is get connected to other people. Find people that have done it before you. Get connected to other people. Like whether it's in business, find seek out the people that have done it before you. You want to, you know, you wanna no matter what it is, find the people that are the best at that. Ask them how they did it. Reach out to people that are doing it and a bunch of people. Because collectively, you know, if you ask four people how they did something. 99.9% of those people have no problem telling you how they did it because they know that it's up to you to take the action to do it or not. Right. So like they don't, there's no problem sharing information, sharing knowledge with people. We like to, we want to share how we did it. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, this is how I did it. You know? So my advice to anybody that's like kind of stuck in a situation is, and you want to get somewhere, you ask people that have already been there, how they did it. And Like I said, collectively, you get, you know, you can get decades of knowledge within minutes when you, when you get people, right. You ask people collectively, you get decades of information and knowledge because some of these people worked a lifetime to get to where they were acquiring all that knowledge. And here they are sharing it with you within minutes. Now, if you were to try to fucking go head steam and do it all on your own, you know how much trial and error and how many years it's going to take you to get to the same place and figure the same things out? You're going to make all the mistakes that they made already on the way. They're going to help you navigate through some of those pitfalls. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is be willing to put yourself out there, get over the fear of asking because you're afraid of the answer that you're going to get, you know, like you I can't do this. Get over that fear and just ask people. They are more than willing to help you get over those things and they're more than willing to help you, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a coach, whether it's a sponsor, whether whatever it is, you know, whether it's just somebody that's up the ladder in business, right? Like even if it's a business standpoint, you know, you want to know how you make it to, you know, how do I make it to senior VP? You know, you just got a job in the mailroom. Go ask the senior VP how he got there. He'll tell you.
0: Dude, that is so solid. It's, I just got off the phone with Colin Henderson, who actually is, you know, not just a friend of mine, but he's my coach, and uh, and he has a, he he likes to say, no one needs to win or worry alone. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. And I mean, like, God, it's like you know, your your brother said it to you, like, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, invite your friends over. You know, let's when we do it together, it's so much, and it's a lot more fun. You know, it is more fun when we're doing stuff together, you know, cheering other people's wins on is invigorating to me. Like I, I get, I get fired up about that stuff. I want to see everybody win. I want to see everybody succeed.
0: Well, you are the reason I do this, you know, stories like yours, you know, from, from, from chained up in in a, in a, in a hospital, you know, with a, with a set of handcuffs on (laughs) to helping people like you are now creating, you know, the coaching platform that you are for, for people that are looking to make changes in their lives. And so give us, you know, give us a little, and we'll, we'll obviously have all of your contact information in the show notes, but how can people find you, follow you, connect with you and, sure. and Learn more and um, from your bro
1: right now? Um, you can find me on Instagram on Instagram. It's at better beginning now, um, on Facebook, you can find me. Um, it's under Michael Conklin. Um, you can find like, we just, uh, just launched a Facebook group. That's a big thing I want to grow because I want it's going to be a Facebook group community. It's a recovery community and it's for everybody in recovery because this is not just a disease. This is not just something that affects the addict or the alcoholic. It affects everybody that they're in contact with and everybody needs those answers. I want the family members to be able to go somewhere to get answers and, and reach out and connect with other people. I want, you know, people that are either curious about, you know, where they're at in their life with alcohol or drugs, whether they, they're, already working a program and they feel like it's lacking a little bit and I need a little bit more like I feel like I need more because that was me I didn't like look man when I got sober the guy that I the people I are surrounded with they were like look man you didn't get sober to to be miserable right I didn't get sober to be miserable what do you want and I'm like I want to live you know I mean I was always chasing the buzz you know and I wasn't looking for like a little baby buzz I wanted a big buzz so that's what I want in my sobriety I want to feel like I'm alive you know, and I like I I hear it too many times, like people are like, oh, you know, I tried it and like everything was so boring. I'm like, it doesn't have to be. I've done more things in sobriety than I ever did. You know, I've accomplished oh, gotcha. more than I ever would have if I was still drinking. You, know, and I've, you're,
0: and you're you know, I climbed
1: to the top of like, you know, mountains, you know, sober. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was drunk, you know, so they can find me like, you know, the recovery community is better beginning now. And that's on Facebook. Um yeah, then. And then the other big thing is, you know, I want people to, you know, go to the website, www.betterbeginningnow.com, and, uh, you know, sign up to our email list. You know, like sign up to the email list, and, you know, we'll send you, you know, some information. We'll keep you in the loop whenever things are going on, new things coming up. You know, we got a lot of things coming down the pike in the next year. You know, I have a lot of, you know, I've got some time now. Um, I had a, like, I was, you know, one of the wonderful things that sobriety has given me is the ability to go do things. And, you know, I was doing a lot of snowboarding like the last year and I was actually, uh, I was at my second trip out in Colorado this year and I had a season ending injury. I absolutely shattered my leg. I'm going to be on crutches for like six months, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because it's another situation in my life where in the past I would have been so mad and I would have been like why is this happening to me and like man I had all these plans for the winter and I had so many I would planned on being out in Colorado and Utah like 2 to 3 weeks out of every month and now here I am on crutches I'm like why is this happening to me and instead you know I'm really able to look at it as like why did this happen for me you know this is a situation that happened for me it could have been a lot worse um I have two plates Three rods, a whole bunch of screws in my leg now, and it's going to be a long recovery back. But I I, I literally, you know, I've been kind of documenting since I got the accident. You know, I, I pulled my phone out literally 10 minutes after I broke my leg and shattered it on the mountain. And people are like, I can't, I can't believe that you had just done all that damage. You know, and like I was, I was in a good, you know, I made sure I wasn't bleeding anywhere. I was like, okay, you're okay, you're okay and my mindset went into a good place, you know, and I just kind of like, you know, my mom was like, I think you're in shock. I'm like, I'm not in shock. I'm okay. You know, like everything is going to be all right. So, um, so yeah. So like, you know, this has given me the opportunity to kind of really focus on this and I'm really excited about the, you know, the next few months. But like I said, we got a lot of stuff that's going to be rolling out by taking continuous and consistent action. Like you said, it's about consistency, how, how I work my sobriety, how I work, things in my life. If you stay consistent, if you find people that you can connect with that are going to hold you accountable, you have a better chance, you know? And that's why, like you said, you have a mentor, you have a coach, you have people that you talk to because they, they help keep me accountable as to what I'm doing. If I say that I'm going to do something and then I don't do it. Sometimes I need a nudge of somebody going like, dude, I thought you said you were going to do that you know and the pastor sort would of be like that's eh, not a good idea no, no no you you were really wanted to do that so what's what's holding you back you know so it's good to have people to call you out on stuff so
0: awesome man well you made you made my day thanks for, for jumping on i mean i know we had this slot and you were just like so uh, willing and so uh, excited to to sit down and and share your story with me and it really meant a lot to me for you to jump on it's great to great to you know get a chance to hear how you overcame um and how you're using that to help other people so man just be well and keep doing what you're doing